rock for the last several months. You and I, as you probably know, are, are living participants in and witnesses to, some people believe, to be the most combative and important transition of our lifetime. Now, if you think I'm venturing off into politics, you're wrong. Because I'm not talking today about the political squabble regarding the presidential results and transition. The transition to which I'm referencing this morning is between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And while you and I uh, will likely be affected or impacted in some way by the presidential transition, regardless of what happens there, as citizens of God's kingdom, that transit, the transition that we're seeing taking place right now, as citizens of God's kingdom, that transition, it, it, its significance is, is minuscule when compared to the opportunities and responsibilities we have during the kingdom transition, which has been in process for the last 2,000 years. What is happening today in our country has no effect. Has no effect. It cannot, I'll say this now and I'll say it at the end, it cannot thwart, it cannot defeat, it can, while it may try to hinder, it will not keep back the opportunities and responsibilities we have as being part of God's kingdom in this transitionary time between the inauguration of His kingdom and the consummation of His kingdom. We have tremendous opportunities. We have much to be hopeful about. We have much to be grateful about. We have much to be able to look forward to of what God can and will do in our lives as we serve Him. So regardless of who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and if you don't know where that is, it's not down here, okay, in Kennedale. What we're talking about in Washington, D.C., that's, that's, the, that's the address of the White House. Regardless of who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you and I have been given a responsibility and a role as citizens of a country. Uh, talks, Hebrews talks about that they looked for a better country. We are citizens of a country that supersedes any national citizenship or interest. And the opportunities of our primary role and responsibility are clearly defined by an examination of the structure of our text today. Now last week we began our overview by outlining the big ideas of this this chapter. Again, chapter 13, it has eight parables in it, and, and they come rapid fire. There's a, there's, there's a couple places where Jesus kind of has an excursus. He kind of, uh, we, we might see, he's, it's not a rabbit trail. He knows exactly what he's doing here. But there's a couple places where Jesus starts making some commentary. There's some questions, there's some answers. But these, 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 these uh, eight, eight parables come pretty rapid fire. Uh, and and we, we look at kind of the, what, what's, what's going on here? What's the big idea here? And, and, and part of that is the parabolic secrets. So why the change? And we're going we're to review that. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm not going to spend time on that. Then we looked at, we're going to look today, going to finish out by looking at the pedagogical structure, the teaching structure. Why does Matthew... Matthew has a purpose in not only what he says, but Matthew has a purpose in how he says it. It's not just what he says. It's the way in which he says it. And the way in which he says it carries meaning. He's trying to, it, it stresses emphasis. It stresses importance. What is, what, what is it that... Ma- there, there are some things that Matthew does not want us to forget. And what are those things? What are the things he wants to do? And then we're, we're going to talk about the paranetic uh, significance. And again, we, just, we, we kept it all... Trying to keep it all homiletical. Paranetic just means with moral. What is, what, how does this apply to us? What's the moral significance? Is, even as we look at the structure of, 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 this, of this text, there is, there, is, there is two big messages that, that, again, that, that, uh, that, as we look at the parables, that all these other parables, teachings, are going to fit under. But there are two big things, two big messages that, that we can apply today and should apply throughout our lives. So we, we want to start with a quick review. And so let's kind of go back and do a quick review uh, of what we looked at last week. And we looked at the parabolic secrets. In other words, why the change? If you remember, we told you that, that this chapter represents a paradigm shift 
in, in Jesus' teaching, in the way that Jesus is teaching. As, as you make your way through the first 12 chapters of the book of Matthew, you, find that you see the fact that Matthew speaks openly to the Jews. Uh, he, he talks to them. He, he, he's speaking to them openly. His, his teaching is straightforward. Uh, he, 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 he speaks to them in a way to, so that they understand the truths that he's, he's telling them. But in chapter 13, there's a change. And that change occurs that Jesus no longer is speaking to them openly, to the religious leaders and the people openly, but He now is conveying truth to them by means of parables. Look again at verse 3. And He told them many things in parables, saying, parabole, parabole. And this is the first use, as we told you last time, parabole is the first time Matthew uses this word in his gospel. And he uses this word 17 times in his gospel, the word parabole, it's translated parable. Twelve of those times is used in chapter 13. So there's something going on here. There's something different that's taking place. And Jesus now is beginning to teach to the religious leaders and teach to the people in parables. And, and, and we talked about that these eight parables are about, the topic of these eight parables are about the secrets of the kingdom. Now, the religious leaders and people understood the concept of the kingdom. They, their concept of the kingdom was that God has promised that, somebody, that there would be a physical descendant from David who would sit upon the throne of David, and, he would, and Israel would be delivered from all its enemies, and Israel would solely serve Yahweh. And they, they knew that. It, it, was, it, was, it was clearly understood. They were looking for a Messiah. In, in Jesus' day, they were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them, who would provide for them, and who would, who would uh, enable them to be free from the yoke of Roman rule. But there's also some things about the kingdom there and, and that, that, that are hidden in, in the Old Testament. And Jesus is revealing to them the secrets. These eight parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom. And, and, and we talked to you about basically two major secrets here that, that, that this, this chapter reveals to us. The first secret is this, is that prior to the consummation of the eschatological kingdom, an entire age would exist where the kingdom's presence would be on this earth via the children of the kingdom. In other words, Jesus has already taught them the fact, and we looked at it from Matthew 11 and 12, that Jesus' presence means that the kingdom is here. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It's not been consummated, but it has been inaugurated. And again, uh, I'm dispensational in my theology, but this type of dispensation is known as progressive dispensationalism. Uh, I'm not traditional, I'm not classic, I'm progressive. Uh, And so you have this sense where you have the, the fact that the kingdom has been inaugurated. The presence of Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. And remember the parable from Luke's gospel where he's already a king and, and the people don't want him to be their king and he goes, goes back to a far country to res- and he, he goes back already being a king and he receives the authority to do so and he's already a king before he gets there. And then he comes back and he rules. Uh, so here we have the fact that, that Jesus has taught them that the kingdom has been inaugurated. But part of what the secrets are is that prior to Jesus coming back and sitting upon the throne of David in Jerusalem, that there is a time. Now, a classical or traditional dispensationist will say the kingdom has been postponed. So we are in like a parenthetical situation here. The church age, the age in which we live, the kingdom has been postponed. What I think is a better understanding of the Scriptures is the fact that the kingdom hasn't been postponed The kingdom's presence is here, and I think these parables will bear it out. The kingdom's presence is here, but its presence is through the children of the kingdom. We don't have anybody ruling on on, on an earthly throne. King Jesus isn't ruling on an earthly throne right now. He will one day, but he he isn't right now. He's ruling from a heavenly throne, which is equated, we've seen in other passages, equated with... David's throne, uh, but he's not ruling on a heavenly throne. And so we are living as aliens in the kingdoms of this age. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are here on this earth as salt and light. And part of our job is to show a world who 
is lost and doesn't even realize it, to show a world who is wrapped up in the thinking and the age of the kingdoms of this world of what it's like and what it's going to be like when King Jesus comes back. That's why the church is to love one another, regardless of our differences. That's why we're to forgive one another, to encourage one another. This is, this, this is a shadow. What exists here should be a shadow, a foretaste of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. Now, it's not completely because we get sick, we die, uh, we, we, we sin against each other. Uh, but it should be a foretaste of what kingdom life is going to look like. And that's the secret. That's one of the secrets. Is that there's a, there's a time frame between the inauguration and the consummation. And in that time frame, the kingdom's presence is on this earth. But its presence is seen in those who are children of the kingdom. And how they treat one another and how they deal with one another. The second secret was this, is that kingdom citizens are not identified by their ethnicity. For Jews, they believe that uh, Messiah is Israel's Messiah. And certainly Gentiles could have a part in it, but they would kind of, well, become like second-class citizens of the kingdom. According to this, is that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, we're all first-class citizens. We're all first-class citizens. So that was the idea of the, the, the second secret there. And, and we'll see that, I think, it bears out in the parables as well. Now, Jesus taught these secret truths using parables to keep the people and religious leaders ignorant. He intentionally hid these truths from their eyes. And the question would be, why? Why were they, and we looked at this last week, why were they to remain ignorant? And we found out from looking at, at, at several texts that they had rejected the revealed truth that, that the kingdom had been inaugurated and that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised king. They rejected it. You do, you, your powers are sourced in Beelzebub. You, you, your powers are sourced in Satan. And, and the people, that was chapter 12. And in chapter 11, the people said, we like all the goodies. And it's kind of like what Jubal was referring to. They would say this, we, like all, we want all the blessings that Jesus can give just as long as we don't get the demands from Jesus. You know, in fact, if we, can, if we can get the goodies without Jesus, that's okay. As long as we can get... And before we get too hard, again, let's think about our own life sometimes. A lot of times we get upset when we don't get the goodies. But... but what Christianity is, as long as we've got Jesus, that's, we've got all the goodies we need. We've got all the goodies that are sufficient enough. And so that was what's going on. And because they had rejected those truths, because Jesus had openly spoken to them and, and showed them by His miracles and taught them by His words, that His words were different. He taught with authority. He did, he did the miracles of Messiah. And yet the people say, well, you know, all those things are well and good, but we want to make sure you play by our rules. We, when we play the flute, we want you to dance. When we play a dirge, we want you to mourn. You, you follow our rules. That's chapter 11 of Matthew. And, and the, Pharisee, the Pharisees in chapter 12, religious leaders, they didn't deny that what Jesus did was a miracle. They didn't deny that these were the actions of, 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 of Messiah-like actions, but because they wanted to, again, they wanted the kingdom to be under their authority, and they wanted the kingdom to be run like they wanted it to be run. And because of their hard hearts and the fact that they really weren't, they believed that they were believers in Yahweh, but they truly weren't, because of that fact, Jesus' power is sourced in Satan. And we saw later on that Jesus basically says, you all are children of Satan in doing that. So he does that. He, he, it's for that reason. So that, that's, kinda, that's the first thing that we looked at last week. So in this chapter, Matthew not only gives an accurate understanding of what Jesus taught using parables, he also helps us to understand more fully what Jesus is emphasizing by how he structures the content and that content and that brings us to the second, the pedagogical structure. And so let's look at the text now. There are, as, as we look, we're, we're, our, our focus here is on verses one through verses fifty-two. That's the focus of these eight parables. These, this passage of scripture is basically broken into two major sections, 
And, and those, sections, uh, th- those sections are divided in such a way, uh, they're divided by uh, geography, where something happens. So look at, look at uh, the first section is verses 1 through 35, and this deals with Jesus and the crowds. So, so look at verse 1 again. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying. So you have the situation where Jesus is by the sea, and great crowds come to him. Now, the second section begins in verse 36. And look how, he, how it begins. Then he left the crowds. So everything, verses 1 through 35, is among the crowds. Then he left the crowds and went into, and went into the house. So those are the two major divisions. Verses 1 through 35 deals with Jesus and the crowd, or crowds. Verses 36 through 52 deal with Jesus and the disciples. So the first section, he's speaking to the crowds. The second section, he speaks to the disciples. And, and, and these two divisions, and this is where you're going to need your sheet, these two divisions have similarity of content, and also they comprise one chiastic structure. So if you've got your sheet there, and again, like I said, this was, was way too much to put on a screen. So if you've got your sheet there, when you look at this, basically in that first section, you have a setting. It tells us that Jesus was beside the sea. Also, you have a setting in the second one as he speaks to the disciples. He's into the house. Or again, in our, you know, you got Jesus in the house. Whoop, whoop, okay? So, you, so you, have, you have him beside the sea, and you have Jesus in the house. Then there's an excursus where Jesus, there, there, you have this kind of this conversation. You move away, and you have the idea of seed and understanding. Look at verse, look at verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Uh, and he talks about, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he goes on, and, and when you make your way down, by the time you're beginning there in verse 18, uh, it, he begins to explain to them the parable of the sower and the seed. So you have, and the parable of the sower and the seed, as is, is we're going to see, deals with the idea of, of hearing and understanding. And that idea is more than just a mental understanding, but here's the word of God, here's how it applies to me, and this is how I'm going to respond to it. These are the actions I'm going to take because this is what the word of God is, 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 is commanding me, and I'm placing myself under the authority of the word. So you have seed and understanding. You have another excursus beginning in verse 36. Look look at what it says there. Verse 36, he says, Then he left the crowds and went to the house, and his disciples came to him, explained to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And he's going to go on and he talks about judgment. Look what he says in, in verse 41. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So here you have seed, you have good seed in and the weeds, it's, it's, some places it's translated darnels, some places it's translated tares. Basically, it's poison. It's more than just like little weeds that, that you get when you're thinking about you know, planting a garden. These are poisonous weeds. These are, the, the, the idea is that of a poisonous weed. But you have seed and judgment. Then you have, there's four of the eight parables, four of them are spoken to the crowd. The parable of the sower and the soil the parable of, of the weeds or the tares or the darnels. You have the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven or the, or the yeast. All those are spoken to the crowds. There's also four parables that are spoken to the disciples. The parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl of value or pearl of great price, the parable of the net. We've gotten the notes, but it's a dragnet. The idea, it, it, this dragnet would be, uh, I would take my boat, uh, Carl would take his, I don't have a boat, but let's say I did. I would take my boat, Carl would take his boat, we'd go out to the lake, and this is how we'd fish. I'd throw him a net over there, 
uh, Carl would grab it, and we'd start our boats, and we'd just take that net, let that net sink to the bottom, and we'd just head to the shore. And whatever we drag in, I don't, I, that kind of fishing I'd like, I think, you know. And, and you know, what, what we drag in, then we take it and we separate the fish. So this, it's the parable of the net or the drag net. And then the last is the parable of the householder or the homeowner or the master of the house. So those four parables are, are spoken to the disciples. There's also a bridge. There's a, he talks about prophecy, a prophetic fulfillment in verses 34 and 35. So you have similarities of content here. You also have a chiastic structure in this section of Matthew. And it starts off, you have the sower, those who hear the word of the kingdom. And that's in verses 1 through 9. And that corresponds with the parable of the householder, those who are trained by the word of the kingdom. Remember, he makes a statement there in verse 52. He says, uh, Therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The second, the second subsection of this chiastic structure is a matter of questions and answers. The disciples ask a question and Jesus gives an answer. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers them, and the topic of that answer has to do with understanding. That corresponds with verse 51, where again you have a question and an answer, except this time it's Jesus that asks the question and the disciples answer. And the topic is understanding. Look at verse 50, look at verse 51. Uh, let me turn over there. Verse 51. Have you understood all these things? That's Jesus asking a question. And you know that for sure because in your Bible it's in red, okay? Uh, no, sir, I mean, but you look at the context and you know Jesus is saying it. Have you understood all these things? Again, this is the section of Jesus talking to his disciples. They said to him, Yes. Yes. And he said to them, so, and, and so you find, and what's he asking them about? He's asking them about understanding. So you have, in this section, you have Jesus, the first section, the disciples' question and Jesus' answer, and it's about the crowd's understanding. Why are you speaking to them in parables? Because I, I don't want them to understand. I don't want them to understand. And then Jesus says, do you understand? And they say, yes, we do. The next is the application of choice. The sower and the soils, where Jesus, that's verses 18 through 23, where Jesus explains the parable of the sower and the good soil. And, and so there's a choice made. How am I going to respond to the, to, the, to the seed of God's word? How am I going to respond to it? And so you have this application. I get to make a choice. Now, the application of character there that, that's towards the bottom, I, I, there, I, I, need, I need you to edit it a little bit. I ran this off yesterday, and then when I was going and reviewing my notes this morning, I made a change, and I'm, it was 50 pages, and I, I just, it just kills me to throw away 50 pieces of paper. And so, so you can take your pen and make that. On the application of a character, it should be fish and tears. Not just tares, but fish and tares. And, and let me show you. In verses 49 through 50, again, you have the application of choice, the sower and the soil, soils. You have the application of character. And look at verses 49 and 50. Here it's not a choice. You are what you are by character. He says, and search, uh, again, I keep on getting, verse 49. He says, so it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. That's character and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, how you tie that in with the fish and tares is that in verses 47 and 48 it is, is the parable of the dragnet where he says, look at verse 48, the, uh, end of verse 47, uh, the, the, the net is thrown into the sea. They gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So there's a separation here based on character. You know, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm wanting to eat crappie and bass, I'm going to throw away the carp. Or as we used to call them in Ohio, sewer bass. You know? You're going to throw away the sewer bass. And we're going we're to keep the crappie and we're going to keep the bass. Okay? And I'm not a big catfish. Well, sometimes I eat catfish. You know? Maybe keep the catfish. But, but, you, but you, 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 based on what they are, you throw them away. And that same, that same uh, 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 inference, that same... Uh, application is found, and you want to put, after verse 49 and 50, you want to put C verse 40. 
because you have that. Look at what, again, what it says in verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. Now look at verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so, it, so will it be at the close of the age. So in that parable of the tares, the tares are tares, they're weeds. That's their character. You separate the weeds from the wheat, and you bind up the wheat, and you throw away the tares. You burn the tares. So this idea of character. The next area is you have the parable of the tares in verses 40 through 30. You have, it speaks about the good and bad, separation and judgment. Uh, verses 47 through 48 is the parable of the dragnet. You have the good and bad. You have separation and judgment. Then you have two parables that, are, that, are, that basically their topic is the same thing. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. The mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, and yet when you plant it, it grows into this great large plant where even birds come and lodge in it. Uh, talking about growth. From this little, this little beginning began this great growth. And then also of leaven or yeast. When you're baking bread, all you have to do, put in it is a little bit of yeast. And that little bit of leaven, uh, as, as Paul says, it leavens the whole lump. It goes in there and it will, it will permeate that bread. Uh, just a little bit permeates the whole thing. And so that deals with the idea of, of, uh, of, of kingdom growth. You have the, the, the parable of the treasure in verses 44 through 46, and the parable of the pearl of great price has to do with value. It talks about treasure. It talks about this pearl that when it's found, you sell everything so to, to get. And so it's dealing with kingdom value. Why, why is the kingdom so important? How, how should we view the kingdom? Why, why, why we should live for the kingdom? Because what happens here is transitory. What happens here burns up, but also what happens here is preparing us. It's important because if we live for kingdom principles, if we live to, to, to be good kingdom citizens and good kingdom caretakers, it, it shows, shows the world that what we value is the kingdom. Whether, listen, whether you were disappointed in this election or whether you were disappointed in past elections, that, that's okay. But what is not okay is if we respond to it the way the world responds to it. That's not okay. Because we are different. My, I can be disappointed. I can be joyful. But the truth is, regardless of that, I'm a kingdom citizen. And this is what I should, I should be living for the kingdom. Foremost and primary. So he talks about that. And then you have the two middle sections where you have prophecy fulfilled in verses 34 through 35. Look, look at that verse real quick. He says, All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Boom! And then He quotes Isaiah. So you have fulfilled prophecy. Then you have prophecy foretold. He talks about the consummation. Look at verse 36. Then He left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples explained to us the parable of the weeds. He goes on, He talks, and we read other passages from it. Verse 41, uh, uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 39. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. And He talks about the fact that the consummation is still ahead. He, talks, he says he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So he's, he talks about prophecy fulfilled and then prophecy foretold. So that's the chiastic structure. So that, that helps us, you know, as we make our way through that, that helps you to see that there, there, there's something going on here that Matthew is trying to emphasize. And as we work our way through these parables, we will discover specific emphases and applications of importance from each one, but they're going to fit within that chiastic structure. But the structure also unpacks for us the paranetic significance or the moral significance. How does this apply? What, what sh- okay, all this is great. All this knowledge is good. Uh, you know, hey, you know, I can, hey, hey, you want... You can go to work tomorrow and say, hey, have you ever thought about the, the chiastic structure of Matthew 13? And your coworker will probably say, you know what? I was just thinking about that the other day. And good, let me share with you the chiastic structure of Matthew 13. In fact, I've even got a sheet here that can help us out. Okay? I mean, no, the knowledge that God gives us is so that our lives can be changed and transformed. So with all of that, is, are, are we doing this morning, we, we want to do more than just fill our heads. 
We want what's going into our heads to affect our heart so it changes our lives. So what is it? What are the things that we should be thinking about as we leave here that should change the way we live? Well, let's think for a moment. Let's start with the four parables. Remember, there's eight parables. Four of them are to the crowds. Four of them are to the disciples. Now, let's look at the four parables to the crowds. Notice the common introduction to the parables of the weeds, the mustard seed, and the yeast. Look at verse 24. Okay? So this is parables 2, 3, and 4. Look at, par- look, at, look at verse 24 of Matthew 13. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Now, the ESV trans- translates it that way. It's the same form of the word. The root word is the same form of the word that's translated like. Okay? But even that, even in our English, to say the kingdom of heaven may be compared, we could say the kingdom of heaven is like. We're saying the same thing. Because like is, is giving what? A comparison. If I say, this is like this, I'm making a comparison. So, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, or the kingdom of heaven is like, or it's compared to, boom. And in in that one, to a man who sowed good seed in, the, in, uh, in his field. Look at verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Look at verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay? So, you have this introductory formula. He tells them a parable and he begins the parable this way. The kingdom of heaven is like X. It's like this. I'm comparing the kingdom of heaven to this so that you can understand here the secrets of the kingdom. Now, is that introductory formula found in the first parable to the crowds? And when we go to the first parable that begins in verse 3 of chapter 13, we are not, we're going to find that that, that that introductory formula is absent. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a sower that went out to sow. He begins, a sower went out to sow. Parable 2, the kingdom of heaven is like. Parable 3, the kingdom of heaven is like. Parable 4, the kingdom of heaven is like. So, is this pattern also found in the next four parables? So what about the four parables to the disciples? Well, let's look at parables 5, 6, and 7. And it deals with the parable of the treasure, the parable of the pearl, the parable of the dragnet. Look at verse 44. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Look at verse 47. Again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea. So, the formula is not found in the first parable. It's found in 2, 3, and 4, which are the parables to the crowds. The parable to the disciples or 5, 6, 7, and 8. And you find that introductory formula in 5, 5, 6, and 7. Okay? What about the last one? There's a twist in the last parable. Look at verse 52. Therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You do find the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. However, there's a twist here. And the twist is the fact that that this phrase is not used in the same way that it's used previously. First of all, the obvious thing is, is that it's not an introductory formula. All the others, 2, 3, and 4, 5, 6, and 7, all begin with, the kingdom of heaven is like. You do find that phrase in verse 52, but it's not at the beginning. But also there's a difference of comparison. In parables 2 through 7, the kingdom of heaven is like X. That's, the comparison is not being made to the kingdom of heaven. Look at it again. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. What's being compared? Every scribe, what's it being compared to? Master of the house. And the other parables, the kingdom of heaven 
is compared to this. And this, the scribe, who it modifies, the kingdom of heaven modifies. The scribe, the expert in the law, modified, who has been trained by kingdom principles, is like a master of a house. So the comparison, again, the, the phrase there, kingdom of heaven is, is uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, is, is it, it's modifying the, the, the scribe. Therefore, every scribe, here's the modifier, who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house. The comparison is not between the kingdom of heaven and something on this earth. The comparison is between a person who has been trained and molded by the principles and teachings of the kingdom of heaven to the master of a house. So, you don't have this formula in the first one and in the last one. The first and last parables lack these formulas, and so therefore they form an inclusio. You have this bracket. You have this first parable that doesn't have this, this formula. You have this last parable that doesn't have this formula. But all the parables in between that have this formula. The author wants us to pause. The divine author, as well as the human author, wants us to pause and take notice. Why do they not have that same formula? Is there some kind of tie between these two? Is there some kind of comparison or contrast? Is there a difference? What, what, what's going on here? Together, when we look at the first and last, together these parables help us to understand the moral application and significance of this chapter. So the first one is the parable of the sower and soils. Now, we don't have time to get all into it, so let me just give you what it is, and then I hope to prove it to you as we make our way through the text over the next several weeks. The parable of the sower and soils is this. As believers, we have a moral obligation to hear the word of the kingdom for the purpose of becoming fruitful kingdom citizens. That's the moral obligation I have to the word of God. The moral, and he talks about the parable of the sower and soils is this. He throws out the seed of God's word. Some, fell, some falls on the path and it's immediately eaten by the birds. It's, it's, it, Satan robs us of it. And he, he, we, don't have to, we don't have to guess what Jesus means because he explains this to us. Then you have some that gets choked out by the weed. And he talks about the cares and the riches of this world. We, we hear the word of God. We respond to the word of God. But because of the circumstances that are going on in our life, it chokes it out. We, 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 we concentrate more on the circumstances than we concentrate on, on how we should respond to those things in a way that is biblical, in a way that's godly. And then he talks about that, that he sows it and it's received, and some, some of it brings forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And the, perp, what, the purpose of this message today is to sow seed in my life and your life that bears forth fruit. That something that's said today will cause your life to change. Every Sunday, every Bible study lesson, every time the Bible study teacher teaches, every time we read the Word of God, every time we listen to a podcast, every time we, 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 we uh, uh, read a book, a, a book by a biblical, uh, it's, it's a book that deals with a biblical subject or a biblical topic. All of that is so that it will change our lives and bring forth fruit. And so that's the first parable. And so all of this is, is Jesus is teaching these kingdom secrets. All of this has to relate, this all relates to the fact that, that you and I have a moral obligation to hear the word of the kingdom for the purpose of becoming fruitful kingdom citizens. That's the goal for your life as a believer. That's the goal for my life. That God's word will change me and transform me by the power of the Holy Spirit till I look more like Christ and my life is fruitful. And, and a fruitful life is a, is a life that brings blessing into the lives of other people. I mean, we're getting ready to put the playground out there. You know one of the things we're going to do? That tree's coming down. It's an apple. Did y'all know we got apple trees out there? I bet you didn't, because you know what? You've never seen any apples on it, have you? It's a fruit tree, but it's born nor fruit. So, and it's, it's, it's been out there for a long time. And so guess what we're getting ready to do? Cut her down. Cut her down. 
that fruit tree has been no profit to us. There's not, a sun, there's not been one Sunday where we've been able to say, you know what, I can't wait till I get home. I need something to eat. I'll go out there and grab an apple and eat it. Ah. And that's what our fruitful life of, as a believer should be like. That we're a blessing and an encouragement. And, 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 and we, our lives make a difference in the lives of other people. That's the first parable. The parable of the householder is this is that we have a moral obligation to be trained by the word of the kingdom for the purpose of becoming faithful kingdom caretakers. Now, in order to understand that, I've got to explain that parable just a little bit. What's happening here, when we get to this parable, he's talking about every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom. In other words, every scribe that's been trained for... A scribe is an expert in the law. In other words, we allow the... And you and I can become scribes. In other words, we allow the word of God the law, the word, God's Word, to, to, we become experts in it. And by experts, it means this. It's not that we can, we can spit out every doctrinal nuance in the Scriptures, but we become experts by the fact that we've been, tra- uh, we've been trained by it and we've become skilled in it. And we're able, it, it, it's, it, it shapes and it molds and it governs and it fashions, and everything in our life is, is, is based upon that. Everything in our we've been trained by it. We have been trained by the Word of God, and He's like a master of the house who brings out of His treasure what is new and what is old. He's telling these disciples that if they will be trained by the Word of God, they're, what they're, they are to be kingdom faithful kingdom caretakers. They are to share the old truths, and in this context, the old truths that Jesus is coming back, and He's going to sit upon the throne of David on an earthly throne, in an earthly, on earthly Jerusalem, and reign over a physical earth. That's the old truths. But also the new truths. That everyone can be a part of this kingdom. It's not just reserved for the Jew. It's for everyone. And everyone can be kingdom citizens. And everyone can receive responsibility and glory in the kingdom. If we will live faithfully for it, while we are here in this time period, in this interlude between the inauguration and the consummation. We are to be faithful kingdom caretakers. We're to tell others about the fact of who, who the king... Listen, this is a great time to be able to talk, especially if you run across somebody who just really, really is, is bum-fuzzled by all the political stuff that's going on, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. Talk to them. Listen, you know, okay, I've got my opinions, this or that, but you know what? I never have to worry about my my my, uh, my ruler being overthrown. I never have to worry about the outcome of election because he never got elected. <laughs> he earned the right. He was appointed by God the Father to sit on the throne, and nobody can take that away. And you know what? He's better than any president or any Congress or any judicial system that we could have because he is holy and righteous and compassionate and just and true and merciful. We become faithful kingdom caretakers. And that's what these two... That's that's the first parable. That's the last parable. And that's our moral obligation. And even in the structure, Matthew is teaching us something. Two major things. Two major, two major things that I have to concentrate on while I live on this earth. I need to be a fruitful citizen of the kingdom. And I need to be a faithful caretaker of the kingdom. Those two things. So are you a kingdom citizen? Are you a kingdom citizen? That's where it starts. Being a kingdom citizen happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on Calvary's cross. He took my wrath for my sin. He took your wrath for your sin. And He satisfied all the demands of God. The righteous demands, the just commands, the good commands of God. And He offered up His life. Not only only did He offer His blood up in death, He offered up His life. A lot of people died on the cross. But he's the only one 
who died as the perfect one on the cross, as a substitute for our sin and your sin. And when you put your faith and trust in that and that alone, you have eternal life. My assurance, my assurance of the fact that I know that I will be in heaven when I draw my last breath is the fact that I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me. And because of that, the Spirit of God lives within me. And I know, I know I'm a child of God because His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. Now, I, I've doubted it at times. But oftentimes those doubts have been because of my own spiritual condition where I've gotten away from them. So are you a kingdom citizen? And, and, and if so... Are you a fruitful citizen and a faithful caretaker? And, and while I'm concerned about the violence and division and the future of our nation, whatever happens, regardless of whatever happens, whatever happens cannot thwart, cannot thwart the opportunities we have of fulfilling our purpose as faithful caretakers and fruitful citizens of the kingdom of God. I don't care. The Supreme Court can't stop us. Now, it can hinder us, and it might mean we get in prison for something, and it might mean that it makes it more difficult to meet. But when I read church history, every time the church gets persecuted, it grows like wildfire. It grows like wildfire. Can't stop us. The Republicans can't stop us. The Democrats can't stop us. The bureaucracy can't stop us. It can't stop us. It cannot stop us from being fruitful citizens of the kingdom. Nor can it stop us from being faithful caretakers of the kingdom. And so while Things may be going on around me that concern me. While things may be going on around me that just simply aren't right. While the turmoil may exist and misunderstandings may occur and hatred runs rampant. I know whom I have believed. And I know that God can use us as a means to bring light to a darkened world. God has given us great opportunities as kingdom citizens. I've seen great kingdom citizens in communist countries. I've seen great king kingdom citizens in democracies like ours. And I've come to the conclusion, though I prefer one government over the other, I like freedom better than tyranny. I do know this. I do know this. It can't stop us. Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So may God help us. May, God, may, may we praise God that we are citizens of His kingdom. And may we petition Him enable us to be fruitful citizens and faithful caretakers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope, the strength, the encouragement, the challenge that it places before us today. May we live out our faith. May we be fruitful as we hear and understand and apply the Word of God. May we be faithful as we bring out from the treasure that we've been given the new and old truths and be able to be good caretakers of this transition period that you've placed us in, a, trans a transition period that is filled with, with violence in this world of those who hate Christ and His kingdom of hatred towards those who are kingdom citizens of God. 
of the turmoil that exists as the kingdoms of this age seek power and control. Father, as we have been placed within this time of great transitional upheaval, an upheaval that's been going on since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you help us to be in the time that you give us on this earth to be fruitful citizens and faithful caretakers. We thank you and we praise you for who we are and for what we have in you, but even more so for who you are. There's none like you. We understand you just a little. But the part that we do understand about you is enough for us to be in awe and amazement of our great triune God. We pray you help us this week to live out these truths. Pray you encourage our hearts, calm our souls. Help us to see this world through your lenses. Give us the compassion and the wisdom as we deal with those who, whose citizenship is of this world. Father, that you'd help us to persuade them to see the folly. And Lord, the desire for them to become citizens of a better country. We ask now, Lord, you work your grace in our lives today. And may we leave here changed for the glory of God. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we do not have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. We want you to respond. To, well, you're going to respond to God's word today. You'll either reject it, you'll either try to pick it apart, take pieces you like, leave the pieces that you don't like. We will submit to it. I trust and pray you'll submit to whatever the Lord is wanting to do in your life today. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. It's not easy. But there's great reward in submitting to God's will and submitting to what God has for our lives. So we're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence. Give you an opportunity to share, to share with the Lord your heart. To be transparent. To be open with Him. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't uh, crush broken flax. He doesn't quench the embers that are burning. But He's a God who restores. He's a God who strengthens. He's a God who renews. So we want to just give you that time to speak to our God and King. And then we'll continue our worship. Thank you, Father, for this day, for the gift that you've given.